0: Chapter 50 In Pursuit of Mr. Molly I met Antonine Molly when he flew to America for my grandfather's funeral. This was an especially difficult time for me. My grandfather and I had become close after that night on the staircase, and we became even closer after my grandmother died. So I felt particularly alone on that day as I recalled the man who had done so much to make me feel anything but. The man who really was my grandfather. The funeral service was a somber one, held on a snowy morning in early March, with only a few people attending. At its conclusion, the rabbi led them out of the prayer hall while reciting Psalm 23. I barely noticed this and didn't follow the procession. I just sat in the front pew while clutching an old brass compass, the same compass I was clutching on that freezing and rainy desert night. My attention was only diverted when a tall old man limped into the hall with the aid of a cane. I could hear his slow shuffling footsteps over the plush carpet as he steadily made his way toward me. It took a while, but these steps finally came to a stop beside me, and with a shortage of breath and a thick German accent, the man asked me who I was. I told him, and his response was, I'm your great-uncle Tunda. This news caused my jaw to unhinge, and I muttered, I thought you were dead. My grandparents thought so. Tunda chuckled at this as he sat next to me and said, There are times I wonder myself. How did you even know my grandfather had died, I asked. I kept close tabs on him, as you Americans say, he answered. And on your grandmother as well. I would have been here for her funeral, too, if I had not been incognito, if you will. It took a few minutes for Tunder to catch his breath, but once he had, he asked to see my grandfather. So we walked up to the altar and I opened the casket, at which time I found my eyes drawn to two things, my grandmother's gold-starved David pin in Herman's lapel and the freshly plucked white rose petal in his hand, both of which I had found among his possessions after he died. Silently Tunda and I stood there. We did for a long time before I closed the casket and drove Tunda to my grandparents' house. During the course of the day and night that followed, The two of us got to know each other over a bottle of 100-year-old cognac that Tunda had been saving for others to drink at his funeral. What was interesting about this time was that we didn't mourn my grandfather's death. Instead, we celebrated his life. We told each other countless stories about him, and we kept telling them well past the rising sun and long after the bottle had been finished. Just as importantly, we laughed a lot and I'd like to believe that my grandfather was laughing with us. I certainly felt he was. After this, on my urging, Tunda continued to stay with me. He died a few months later, and is buried a short distance from my grandparents. Still, in the brief time we had together, he provided me with some much-needed comfort, as well as details about this case that my grandfather never knew. This included events after the colonel's departure from the café. Herman and Klaus didn't have to wait long outside Café Slavia for my future great-uncle to leave. He drained his cup the moment he saw Riedel and his Mercedes drive off, and he dropped some coins onto the table before rushing out of the building. While hustling as fast as he could, he crossed Narodny before scurrying into his office building watched by Herman and Klaus from their car, which Herman had moved from the other side of the café. Tunda's heart was racing as he returned to his office while clutching his jacket pocket. Unable to believe what was inside it, he kept clutching this as he grabbed his phone and dialed Gertrude. But no one answered, not even Kancha, so he hung up and glanced out his window while arguing with himself over whether he should wait for Gertrude to return though this was short-lived, and he made two last phone calls. I'm going to get it right now, he told the person on the other end of the line during his final call. I'll meet you at the Spanish synagogue in two hours. Quickly Tunda finished the conversation and hung up, and he opened a desk drawer and took out a large and ancient iron key, as well as a ram's horn. These he put in his briefcase, and he left his office with it and took the and to the lobby. From there, he scurried outside the Palatstunai into a Tatra 77 parked outside the building, and he sped across the same bridge that Herman and Klaus had recently followed Riedel over, with Herman now following him. However, instead of leading Herman and Klaus back into Malastrana and down its ancient roads, Tunda drove south into an industrial part of town called Smikov. There he parked on Holacek Street in front of a decrepit and empty grocery store where he waited in his car. He waited for more than an hour with Herman and Klaus parked about a block and a half back. He waited until a small truck came rumbling toward him from the opposite direction which was spewing thick black smoke from its exhaust and kept doing this even after it came to a rest across the street from the Tatra. As soon as he saw the truck Tunda jumped out of his car with his briefcase, and he carefully looked around the block. Seeing nothing in either direction, he scampered toward the driver's window of the truck, which rolled down as he approached, exposing a scruffy little man in his mid-twenties. You're late, Lujek, Tunda growled in a tone of voice that was both foreign and forced. You know how important this is for me. It couldn't be helped, boss, Lujek insisted. I had engine problems. You're lucky I got here at all. You don't expect there will be any more of these problems, do you? Tonda asked. Lujek shrugged, which caused Tonda to sigh, but he climbed inside the truck and it took off before passing Herman Skoda as it continued to single-handedly spread smog across the city. Herman and Klaus waited. They waited until the truck was completely out of sight in Herman's rearview mirror before Herman made a U-turn and followed the smoke. He followed it for a handful of blocks to a large building on Plisenska Street that was surrounded by a tall barbed wire fence and whose entrance was guarded by a pair of SS soldiers. At the gate, Lucek showed one of the soldiers a piece of paper along with both men's identification documents. These the soldier carefully read through. He did this multiple times while repeatedly glancing at the men. He even made a phone call before returning everything and opening the gate, which allowed the truck to stutter inside. What is this place? Herman asked Klaus while watching the truck disappear. An SS warehouse, answered Klaus with a look of confusion. This caused Herman to ask, A warehouse of what? Weapons, uniforms, equipment, Klaus explained. Anything we could possibly need during the course of our operations. And someone like Molly can just drive inside it, Herman inquired. Not even I could just drive inside it, Klaus replied, not without proper authorization. Could Riedel provide such authorization, Herman inquired next. Yes, Klaus said. So that could have been what he gave him inside the cafe, Herman remarked. I should arrest Molly the second he leaves, Klaus remarked back while shaking his head with whatever he takes from there. You can arrest him any time, Herman insisted, after he leads us to the killer.